Please pray with me. Holy Christ, open our hearts and our minds so that in your words of scripture and in the living word all around us, we might hear your voice and do your will. Amen. So I bring you greetings from San Francisco Theological Seminary, which is where Jenny and I were in seminary together. We were classmates, took preaching classes together, um, and also where Ashley Pogue is a student right now. And I just want to express my thanks to all the ways that this congregation supports our students and has over the years. I was sharing with someone that the very first time that I came to this church, it was my first year of seminary, and it was to visit a friend of mine who was interning here, Jonathan Evans. I don't know if any of y'all remember Jonathan, but he told me to tell you hello. Um, so I, I very much appreciate this church and the, everything you do for our students, but also the welcome that I experience whenever I'm here. Um, I think Jenny is working with Floyd Tompkins of our, at our Center for Innovation and Ministry, and they're trying to put together um, some conversations that will happen here. So um, thank you for the relationship and this partnership. So Jenny's told me that you've embraced the theme of encounters from Richard Rohr's uh, book, Wondrous Encounters for Lent. What a great theme as we travel with Jesus through Lent from the ashes of Ash Wednesday through the wilderness and on towards Jerusalem into Holy Week and to the Last Supper and into Gethsemane and then on to Calvary and then to the quiet of the tomb on Easter morning. Wondrous encounter after wondrous encounter. And our theme today that I was assigned is Encountering the Other. It's a little different than the one that's printed in your bulletin, but Encountering the Other. And we couldn't find a more perfect text than this, as Carol described in the, in the children's moment. Uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman encounter each other at the well. Each of them encounters a very different other. They are two people separated by categories of gender and nationality and religion. Jesus is a Jewish man, and the Samaritan woman is obviously a Samaritan and a woman. The Jewish leaders and people of the time generally view the Samaritans as apostate and unclean. They've chosen the wrong way to worship God, on a hill in Samaria rather than on a hill in Judea. And so the Jews of Jesus' day have nothing to do with the Samaritans. And... Let's not forget that Jesus and the woman have different genders in a world that is shaped by patriarchy, where it is scandalous, just absolutely scandalous in this context for a man to deign to speak to a woman. Here, in this context of power and privilege and barriers and boundaries, we have this long glimpse at how they encounter each other. And this is actually one of the longest one-on-one -on -one conversations that Jesus has with anyone in the Bible. It's just Jesus and the Samaritan woman and us. So let's look at this scripture through the lens of this question. In this story, in this context, what does it mean to encounter the other? And let's ask that question first from the perspective of Jesus, because that, that's the traditional way of looking at this text. In this story, what does it mean to Jesus to encounter the other, this Samaritan woman. Jesus is traveling through Samaria. He's exhausted. And so he rests at this well as his disciples go off to find some food. It's just Jesus sitting there alone, tired out in the heat of the noonday sun. And you know, it's one of the few times that we see Jesus like that. Just sitting there all by himself. 
And along comes this Samaritan woman, also alone, working, coming to the well at the hottest time of the day. Now, Jesus knows the rules. He knows who he is, and he knows who she is. He knows the barriers and the boundaries and the prohibitions that should keep them apart. And Jesus ignores them all. He doesn't just ignore them. He smashes through them. Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman. He engages her in conversation. He takes her life seriously, and he offers her this gift of living water on the very same basis that he would offer it to someone who was Jewish or to someone who was male, on the same basis that he offers living water to everyone. Here, at the very start of the Gospel of John, Jesus encounters the other and announces and lives out a new expansive and inclusive order. We're not going to play this in and out game anymore. No more talk of clean and unclean of anyone being less than. Jesus says, everyone who drinks this living water that I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give to everyone will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that, that is good news indeed. It's good news for everyone, and it's just the start of John's gospel. By the end of this chapter, by the end of chapter 4, Jesus will spend two full days in a Samaritan village living with Samaritans, and they will end up saying that Jesus is the Savior of the world before anyone else in the gospel of John says that. A village of Samaritans says it, and the good news of Jesus Christ, well, it just takes off from there. So when we ask this question, what does it mean for Jesus in this story to encounter the other, that's what we see. But I wonder, what would it be like to ask that question from the perspective of the Samaritan woman? Because they are different people, and they come from different social locations. What does it mean for her in this story to encounter the other? Because when they encounter each other at the beginning of this story, Jesus has all of the power and privilege, and she has none. It's not quite so easy for her. Jesus knows the boundaries that give him privilege, and he can set them aside. She doesn't have the luxury of that choice. She doesn't get to wake up in the morning and say, today, I'm not going to live in a patriarchal world. The Samaritan woman comes to the well at noon, the hottest time of the day when she expects that no one will be around. But there is this man, and a Jewish man, as one of the youth pointed out, someone from the enemy tribe. In this encounter, there is an imbalance of power and privilege. He has the power and privilege. She does not. That's the way her world works, and she knows that from the very start. That's how she moves into this encounter of the other. And I don't think we need to look too far to get some sense of what that is like. In our own world, the Me Too movement has shaken America out of its collective denial about how hard it is for women to work freely in male-dominated workplaces. Not only in big businesses and government, but also in new startups where the culture can still spring up privileging the men. Every woman who has said, me too, has put, that into, has put into plain view what has been true for way too long, that the playing field is not even, to say the least, and that men in the workplace too often use their power and privilege in abusive and violent ways. Like the Samaritan woman at the well, 
What does it mean to encounter the other in an other-dominated world where the other holds most of the power and the privilege? I think about what it's like being gay in a mostly straight world. My husband and I are from Alabama. You may have picked up a little bit of an accent. We've lived here for 13 years now, but when we go home, we are careful when we encounter others whom we do not know because they have the power to treat us differently with little legal or social accountability. We carry legal powers of attorney with us because hospital officials have power to not recognize that we really are each other's next of kin. And when we travel anywhere out of the Bay Area, we are careful even when we go to churches because for too long the church has had power to say that we are less than, that we cannot serve in the church, that we cannot marry, for us, church can be a hostile place. We are careful when we encounter the other. And I also wonder, this week I went to see the Black Panther movie. It's the latest Marvel Comics movie and it envisions an African nation that was never, ever colonized whose people were never kidnapped and stolen and sold into slavery, an African nation that has thrived living free. And that vision, by contrast, raises this question about our world as it is. What is it like for an African American or an African to encounter the other in a world that has been shaped by colonization and slavery and that is still infected by white supremacy? What does it mean to encounter the other in an other-dominated world when the other holds most of the power and privilege? Let's go back to the scripture and read it through that lens and look at how the Samaritan woman, and, and oh, I wish that history had told us her name, how the Samaritan woman moves into and through this encounter. The Samaritan woman arrives at the well in the heat of the day when she expects that no one will be there. But there's this man, a non-Samaritan man, a Jewish man. So she slows her pace a bit. She takes in the situation. She doesn't let him get out of her sight. And she moves carefully to the well and goes about her work of drawing water. And then the man speaks and he says... Give me a drink of water. Now the translation reread, the New International Version, the NIV, which I usually love, tries to clean that up and make it, will you give me a drink of water? But I went back to the Greek, and it's an imperative. Give me a drink of water. <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> now look, look at the first thing the woman says in this conversation. She names the power differential. She speaks plainly what's going on. Sir, you're a Jew and a man. How can you ask me, a Samaritan and a woman, for a drink? I thought y'all didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. She does the power analysis for both of them, and she says it plain. You have the power and the privilege. Your people have nothing to do with us, treat us as unclean, and you ask me for a drink of water. So before we start talking, let's just get that clear. <laughs> and then Jesus, Jesus names it too. 
we've got this strange little exchange where Jesus says, go get your husband. She says, I have no husband. And he says, you're right, you've had five husbands. Now for centuries, almost, well, two millennia, (laughs) this exchange has been used to claim that this Samaritan woman is a loose woman somehow sinful in these marriage. And the problem with that reading, and it has been the dominant male reading, is that it is not anywhere in the Bible. This text doesn't support that reading at all. Jesus doesn't say anything about her being sinful or mention repentance. That's not the point of this story. And when sin and repentance are the point of the story, we know Jesus says so. No, you see, whenever we're talking about marriage in the Bible, we're talking about a property transaction. Marriage in the ancient world was about property. The woman was included in the man's property, and she was the main vehicle for transferring a man's property from generation to generation to generation. It's why barrenness is such a scandal in the Hebrew Scriptures. So when the Samaritan woman says, I have no husband, she is really saying, no man owns me. If you want to talk to me, if you want to talk about me, you talk to me. And when Jesus says, you're right, you have had five husbands, he's acknowledging that she has basically been owned five times. Together in this conversation, they are naming the power and the privilege in their world, the power differential that comes with them into their conversations, and then and only then, only after being honest about all that can they even try to choose a better way. And look at what they do. They choose to enter into this amazing and lively conversation of mutuality. We see this clever, engaging banter person to person. Give me some water. Wait, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? If you knew who I was, you'd give me a drink. Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Whoever drinks this water, the water I give, will never thirst. Well then, sir, give me some of that so I don't have to lug these buckets of water back and forth. I have no husband. No, you've had five. Sir, I see you are a prophet. They enter into this conversation, this relationship of mutuality. And you know what? I think Jesus actually enjoys it. When I read this text, I see him enjoying this conversation almost more than any other conversation that he has. Because you know, he's surrounded by those disciples. And a lot of times they don't catch on. (laughs) When Carol mentioned in the children's sermon, um, people who ask the same questions over and over again, there's the disciples. (laughs) But through this conversation, this conversation of mutuality, the Samaritan woman becomes the first person in the Gospel of John to whom Jesus says, I am the Christ. The Samaritan woman in the Gospel of John becomes the first person to announce Jesus as the Christ when she goes back to the village. She becomes the first evangelist. And then look what happens in the conversation. They've been honest about power and privilege at work in the world. They've chosen another way, a relationship of mutuality. And then out of all of that, this conversation gives them both life. Weary from the long journey in the noonday heat, Jesus gets a cup of cool water. 
He shares with the Samaritan woman living water that is for everyone. And here in this moment, they are refreshed and free. And what flows out of this moment as she goes and spreads the word and as people come is more life and more liberation and more life and more liberation and more life. You see, what we have here is a Jesus model for encountering the other. What we see is a framework for having hard conversations. Being honest about the things, the power and privilege that separate us and hold us down and then relinquishing that power and privilege, and then moving towards relationship of mutuality where no one is less than, where no one is kept out, where no one is held back. God God has created us for life with each other, for life lived in relationships of mutuality and dignity and freedom, for life lived in healthy and whole community. This living water that Jesus brings, he makes it clear, it's for all people on equal terms. Whoever drinks this water will never thirst. The water I give will become in them a spring welling up to eternal life. This living water is the water of creation over which the Spirit hovered in the beginning and out of which God made everyone and everything that is. And when God finished, she looked around at all of us together and she said, oh, this is good. This living water is the water of liberation, the waters that God parted so that a people can walk away from oppression and across dry land toward freedom, toward a promised land. And this living water, it is the water of our baptism in which we were claimed as God's own, as part of God's expansive and eternal family, the waters where we stand with Jesus and hear a voice from heaven say, these, these are my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. In a world fraught with power and privilege, where people live in deep division, where some are raised up and some are kept low, where people fight daily for their freedom and their dignity in a world not unlike our own. Jesus and the Samaritan woman meet at this desert well in the noontime heat, and they talk, and they say true things, and they laugh, and they encounter each other truly, and deeply. And they pass a cup back and forth, and they share cool sips of water on a dry and dusty day. And there, in their encounter, they give each other life.